I'm really delighted to carry on our series in the book of Ruth this morning. And there's so many things that we can draw from the book of Ruth, like how to be a good, godly mother-in-law or daughter-in-law. But we're not going there this morning. Um, This morning, we're going to be focusing on the loving kindness of the Lord in the lives of the most unexpected protagonist. The loving kindness of the Lord in the lives of the most unexpected protagonist. And to be fair... I was a bit stuck with that word protagonist, so I googled it. <laughs> and it means um, the main characters in a book or a film. And so this morning we're going to be thinking about the loving kindness of the Lord in the lives of Naomi and Ruth, who we were introduced to last week, and to the third main character, Boaz, who we are going to be meeting today, and towards all those who take refuge under the wings of the Lord. His loving kindness is remarkable. And there's so many references in the Bible to the loving kindness of the Lord. And the response to the loving kindness of the Lord usually is praise. Psalm 92 verse 1 and 2. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to thy name, O Most High, to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night. The ESV version. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithful love by night. Psalm 63, verse 3 and 4. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus I will bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. Psalm 48, verse 10. We have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of thy temple. According to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. O God, we meditate on your unfailing love as we worship in your temple. That's the New Living Translation version. And Psalm 36, verse 7. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. As you can see from these verses, that word loving kindness comes up in the older translation, which is the King James Version. Um, the newer translations tend to use a more common English word like faithful love, steadfast love, mercy, or good favor. And so loving kindness is part of who God is. And God delights to show loving kindness to his people, to all of his creation, in fact. Psalm 145 verse 16 tells us, you open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. However, when we're speaking about loving kindness in relation to God's character, um, it's a slightly different trait, and it's describing God's heart um, and God's love, God's kindness, God's loving devotion, its steadfast covenant love to his children, and it's quite different from the compassion towards all of his creation. And this loving kindness of the Lord is um, usually displayed through people and is at work through faithful human instruments. And that's what the gist of sin too that we're going to be in this morning is in Ruth chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at this story and looking at the loving kindness of the Lord, how it's displayed in this beautiful story. And to help set us the scene, we have to um, go back to scene one for those of us that maybe were not here last week and just try and um, remember what happened in sin one. And so last week we met Naomi, um, who was married to a man called Elimelech. 
Um, and that man, he made a decision to leave his homeland, Bethlehem, because there was a famine there. And they, he decided to find greener pastures in the land of Moab. And so with his wife and his two sons, they left and they decided to live in Moab. Unfortunately, Elimelech dies. And then the two sons got married to two Moabite women, Ruth and Oprah. And then tragedy strikes again. The two sons also die. Leaving Naomi without a husband or sons um, in a society in which the security and the economic stability depended upon having male members of the family. So all hope seemed lost for Naomi. And as we discovered last week, God was not finished with her. God's activity to bring restoration and security to her was unwavering. God was, God was working even though Naomi could not see it. And so Naomi decided to return to her homeland in Bethlehem with her daughter-in-law Ruth clinging to her and deciding to go back with her. And so in Ruth chapter 1, verse 19 and to 22, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the, and the woman said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, because her name means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. In other words, she said, don't call me pleasant, but call me bitter, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi was despondent, she was discouraged, she was depressed even, because she thought God was against her. All she could see was all she had lost that she was widowed, she was childless, and she didn't see any hope of restoration. And so in verse 22, Naomi returned, and with her, Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And so this is how scene one ends. Naomi and Ruth arriving back in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And this is significant because the timing of the events is evidence of what God is about to unfold in Naomi's life. God's sovereign purpose is to fill her emptiness is about to be unfold. Naomi is about to discover that rather than God actually being against her, God was actively working on her behalf to bless her beyond what she could see, starting with her need for daily bread. And so chapter two begins with an introduction to her third main character, a man called Boaz. Ruth chapter two, verse one. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So Boaz is a relative of Naomi's late husband and he's a worthy man. In other words, he's wealthy and he's influential. And as we'll see later on, he's a landowner and an employer. And then straight with, we're trekking to Naomi's house in verse two, where the real action begins. And so we have to remember that in those days, there was no Morrison's or Asda or any corner shop that you just pop in to get food. It was the responsibility of the men of the household to fend for their family by growing their crops on their own land. And so Naomi's lack of a husband and sons was not only very, very sad, but it was actually a financial crisis. It was a threat to their survival. How would she find daily bread? Food for herself, food for Ruth, without land or crops of their own? How would they survive? And so in verse two, Ruth, using her initiative, asked Naomi if she could go into the fields to pick up leftover grains. Remember, they arrived at the beginning of the barley harvest. So obviously, Ruth was not an Israelite. So I'm thinking at this point, somebody somewhere must have told her that God had made provision for the survival of the poor and the sojourners in the land of Israel. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9 and 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, 
neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So somebody must have told Ruth about this, that the farmers in Israel had been commanded not to completely harvest their fields, but to always leave some behind. And if they happened to drop a bundle of grain, they were commanded to leave it on the ground, not to pick it up. And this was a wonderful way of helping the poor. It meant that they could be active, find their own work, um, work, find their own food with dignity. And it was also a way to teach the farmers to be generous. And so in verse three, so Ruth went out and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Ruth happened to find herself in the field that belonged to Boaz, and she started walking behind the harvesters. And so when Boaz came into the field, they inquired about Ruth from the reapers, and realizing who she was, he was kind to her. And let's be clear here, that gleaning job, it's not a dream job. It's not a glamorous job. Apart from the fact that it was hot and it was hard work, it wasn't a safe job. Oftentimes, women were taken advantage of. And as you can imagine, Ruth, unmarried, a foreign woman, was very vulnerable while at work in the fields. And so Boaz assured her that she could walk safely in the fields and she could get a drink from the water jars when she was thirsty. And Ruth was obviously taken aback by this great kindness that had been shown her by Boaz. And with gratitude, she questioned it from verses 10 to 12. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And so Boaz fully understands that the Lord's love is often communicated through the love and kindness of people. He understands that his provision for Ruth was not just him doing it, it was actually the Lord's kindness to her. And so Ruth finds favor with Boaz. She's invited to stay in the fields. She's given special provision and protection. She's provided with food as if she was part of the working force. She could eat as much as she liked with the takeaway option. From where I come from, takeaway packs, they're very popular, and they're a necessity for a great party. So Ruth ate till she was satisfied, and she packed some to take away to Naomi. And she also gleaned some more grain, more barley. She picked out the grain, she filled an entire basket, and headed back to the city. Also, when she got back home, my mother-in-law, she was very surprised at how much grain she had, as well as the fact that she had food that she brought back home. Verse 19, and my mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you walked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had walked and said, this man with whom I walk today is Boaz. Verse 20. And Naomi, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Do we sense a glimmer of hope in Naomi's words, a little bit of excitement even. She's starting to see her needs being met. Her physical needs for daily bread, food provided, and also a continued needs of sustenance. Her emotional needs. Ruth, this wonderful woman that loves her, is meeting the emotional needs of Naomi. 
And then now there's the possibility of a family needs, family needs being met through Boaz. So God actually did not leave her without a redeemer like she thought. Could it be that in her grief, she had totally forgotten that there was a man, a male relative of her late husband who could continue their family line. However, God did not forget because God never forgets. And Ruth, she did not stumble or happen to be in the field of Boaz. God ordered her steps into this particular field, the field of one of their redeemers who could continue the family line. And God granted her favor with him. There was no coincidence at all, but God's loving kindness was at work. Through faithful human instruments, and this is how God demonstrated this loving kindness to a woman in crisis that had diverse needs. And so Naomi is now beginning to recognize and acknowledge the loving kindness of the Lord towards her. And she no longer described the Lord as the Almighty who has dealt bitterly with her, but as the one who has not stopped showing loving kindness to the living and the dead. And it's very important for us to note here that there has been an ongoing and continued unfolding of the loving kindness of the Lord towards Naomi, even though she did not recognize it. She was totally oblivious of it. It did not just start when she recognized it, but in her state of despair, her dark circumstances had obscured any recognition of the loving kindness of the Lord in her life. And so God's loving kindness mediated through Ruth and Boaz, two faithful servants, they embodied self-sacrificial covenant kindness towards Naomi, and they were key instruments in revealing God's loving kindness to Naomi and accomplishing God's purposes. Now we live in the New Testament, and we have a fuller picture of the salvation story. And when we think of the story of Boaz, we know it points backwards to um, when God revealed the people of Israel from the land of Egypt. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse uh, 17, 17 to 19, it says, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. So God commanded the Israelites that any, they should be favorable to sojourners. Why? Because they sojourned in the land of Egypt for so many, many years. But we also understand that Boaz's kindness points forward to, the, to God's future kindness in redeeming his people from their sins through Jesus Christ. Amen. God's kindness to vulnerable people comes to clearest expression in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that so that you by his poverty might become rich. So Jesus identified with weak sinners like us making, us, making himself poor in order that we might be enriched. So Jesus sees all of our vulnerability. He sees all of our diverse needs and he has taken the initiative to meet them. He laid aside his majesty. He gave up everything he had for us. He suffered at the hands of those he created. He took our sin and our shame and he defeated sin and death. So Jesus Christ mediates and demonstrates the loving kindness of God towards us. And for those of us who have put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, those of us who have taken refuge under the shadow of his wings, this great loving kindness of God towards us demands a response. In a world in which people are doing what's right in their own eyes, we are called to live in a way that's distinctive from those around us. And this is what the book of Ruth calls us to. This chapter calls us to respond to God's loving kindness and to um, what God has done in our lives. 
that should be a motivating factor for us to love God and to serve other people. God calls us and equips us as believers to be instruments of his blessing. God, when God called Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, God said to Abraham, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God's purpose in blessing Abraham was that so he could be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And we are Abraham's seeds. God's kindness to us as his people is intended to make us kind to other people. And so we want to be a people in a new community church that recognize and acknowledge the loving kindness of God towards us. But not just stop there. We want to allow that loving kindness to affect and shape how we live in relation to other people. And so in order to ground these things that we've spoken about, I just want us to explore three questions that would, by the help of the Holy Spirit, help us to reflect as well as stimulate gospel and power kindness amongst us. And the first question is this. What do you have? What is in your hands? What has God blessed you with? What has God given you? And our immediate response to this question is probably, oh, not much. It's easier to see what someone else has. Oh, she has this, he has that. And have nothing in comparison to them. Or sometimes we think, oh, there's so much going on in my life. There's too much stuff. I have absolutely nothing to give. However, if you've been coming to this church for a little while, you will know the phrase that we remind ourselves of all the time, that every single one of us is needy. But yet, every single one of us is needed. God has entrusted so much to each one of us. James chapter 1, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Everything we have been given and blessed with is a gift from God, and it could be material assets or immaterial resources. They are all a demonstration of God's loving kindness towards us, and we have a responsibility to recognize them as well as use them for God's glory and for our neighbor's goods. Our Lord Jesus Christ talked a lot about the kingdom of God. And in Matthew chapter 25, um, he likened it to a man going on a journey who called the servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each one according to his ability. And then he went away. And then he who had received five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents, he made two more. But he who had received the one talent went and he dog in the ground and hid the master's money. Now after a very long time, the master of those servants came back and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have five more talents. And then his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into joy of your master. And so the servants also that with two talents came back he also, he had made two more. And he said, Master, here are your two talents and made two extra. And he received the same commendation for the um, well done, good and faithful servants. It was the man that had five, the man that had two, they got the same commendation of being faithful with what they were given. And then here comes the one, the man that received the one talent. He came forward, Matthew 25, verse 24 to 27, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, Ripping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talents in the ground. So 
Here you go, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and on my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So the master was very cross with this servant. Why? Because he was not faithful with the one talent that he was given. He did not recognize or value his talent and so he did not put it to use. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10 that we are stewards of God's varied grace. We are called to use the gifts God has given us for his glory and for the good of others. And as each of us has received a gift, use it, the Bible says, to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So Boaz had a field and he was generous with what God gave him. He was obedient to God in the use of his assets. He understood Leviticus chapter 25 verse 23 that said, the land shall not be sold in perpetuity for the land is mine for you are strangers and sojourners with me. So Boaz understood that he was a sojourner. He was a steward of God's property. And so he was willing and he was generous with what God gave him because he knew God enriched him so that he could be generous to other people. We also were sojourners, brothers and sisters. This world is not our home. We are just passing through. And so we need to resist the tendency of taking ownership in the getting and the having and the holding on to the things that God has given to us when God means us to steward them. The prevailing culture we live in is one of entitlement. I go to work, I pay my bills, I do this, I do that. I earn them. It's my right. These are my accomplishments. My, my, my. That's what the world tells us. Yet Psalm 24 verse 1 tells us that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. So everything we have, and it does not matter what, it's a gift from God. It's because of the loving kindness of the Lord. And 1 Timothy 6 verse 67 tells us that godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of this world. And so as believers, our attitude should be one of gratitude to God for all he has blessed us with. And understanding that actually God has richly provided us with everything good for us to enjoy. And he also wants us to steward them. So God has entrusted food, money, our homes, and lots of material assets to us. He, also, he has also given us immaterial resources, our time, our energy, our influence. There's lots of blessings that God has blessed us with. So we need to, as children of God, humbly ad- identify these resources God has blessed us with and invest them according to God's given priorities for the glory of God and for the good of others. So what, what, is, it, what is it that God has given you? What has God blessed you with? What is your own realm of peculiar responsibility? What can you steward and use for the glory of God and for the good of others? What do you have? And the second question this morning is, whom do you see? Whom do you see? Ruth sets out to glean, and she was praying for favor that somebody would see her. She said, I will search for favor in somebody's sight. She was hoping that somebody would see her. Somebody would not just ignore her or overlook her. And thankfully, Boa sees her. And Boa looks on her vulnerable condition with compassion. And Boaz allowed God to use him to demonstrate the loving kindness of God directly to Ruth and indirectly to Naomi. And in New Connection, he wants to be a church that's like the field of Boaz. So that when vulnerable people come into our midst, they happen to come into our midst. That's what they think. 
but God has brought them to us. We don't just overlook them or sidetrack them, but they experience being seen and they are awestruck by the way Christ loves them through the way we demonstrate the love of God to them. There are people in our communities, in our church, that we are the key instruments that God is going to use to demonstrate his loving kindness to. And at various, lives, at various seasons in my life, I think of people that God has put into my life that have demonstrated the loving kindness of, of God to me in significant ways. So many years back, I remember um, um, when I was pregnant with Dara, I was, uh, we were still starting off, struggling financially. And uh, this lady just, we were coming to the end of, uh, she was having the baby and actually really hardly anything. And this lady just came from church and she just said, oh, to take us out on a Saturday. I said, okay, right. And she took us to mother care. She just said, pick everything you need. Said, what? Everything you need. So everything, the court, every single thing. Picked it, and then she paid for it. I thought, oh, wow. So things like that, and over time, lots and lots of things that God has done, they're just people that got put into your life, that just display the loving kindness of God towards you. So we want to be a people like that, people that see one another, that grow in seeing the needs around us. We don't want to be preoccupied with our own selves so that we don't see anybody else because we're so consumed with what's going on in our life. And what does that, what does that look for, like for us practically in New Community Church on a Sunday morning in sitcom venue? It means being sensitive to those around us, the people you're sitting next to, being sensitive to them, being more aware of the people around us. Usually on a Sunday after the service, you just want to target your friends and, and be engrossed in these conversations that you want to catch up with people. But there's people in our midst that are lonely, that are vulnerable, that are standing by themselves. We all need to be on the lookout for these people. That's one of the ways to see people, to just look, look, look around rather than just be engrossed with our own self. We can also be in community. And yes, again, yeah. They can be in community. We can be in community. So if you're here and you're not in a community, this is another plug for community because we are passionate about that in this church. In community, you see one another. It's a place you can grow in seeing other people and you can be seen as well. It's a place where we learn to listen first to God and then to one another. We can help each other see. We all have blind spots. And so when we get to the community, we start educating ourselves about the issues in our communities, people, the issues affecting people that live around us, how we can be, um, how we can extend God's loving kindness to these people that live around us. We explore and we challenge one another to respond to the needs in our wider church family as, as well as in our communities. So our Lord Jesus Christ, he saw people always with eyes of compassion, always had time for people, always with a desire to meet their needs. Jesus Christ saw Matthew when he was on, uh, the, sorry, he saw Matthew, the hated tax collector. He saw Zacchaeus on top of the tree. He saw blind Bartimaeus. He saw the woman with the issue of blood. He always had time to see people. Do we have eyes that see? Do we see people? Is there room in our lives for one more? Who do you see? And finally, whom do we know? Whom do we know? Boaz lived during the time of the judges and verse one um, of Ruth chapter one told us at that time, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, but not Boaz. Boaz was a man of character. He was a man of integrity. 
He had responsibility. He was principled. He was a faithful law-keeping Israelite. He was a fair employer. Everybody wanted to work for him. Life in his field was different. Why? Because he feared God. He modeled obedience to the law in his treatment of the poor. And so we can conclude that Boaz was a God-fearing man. He knew God's law and he was obedient to them. His conduct was shaped by what he knew about God. The same goes for us, brothers and sisters. Our obedience, in fact, everything we do in life originates with our knowledge of God. So who do we know? The more we know God, the more we love him and the more we want to serve him. Proverbs 1.7 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise Sorry, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so our knowledge of God, who we know, is what motivates us to want to love him and serve him. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul talked about the church, um, the Macedonian church. He was encouraging the church in Corinth in the grace of giving. And so he talked about this church in Macedonia in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3 to 5. And he said, for they, the Macedonian church, they gave according to their means, as I testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So these believers in Macedonia, they gave according to their means, they gave beyond their means, they gave of their own accord, of their own free will. No one forced or imposed anything on them. They even begged to take part in providing relief for the saints. Why? Because they had given themselves first to the Lord so when we give ourselves first to the Lord, to knowing him, giving and doing the things that please God, they just naturally overflow out of our lives. No one needs to force or impose anything on us. And so rightly responding to Ruth chapter two involves us growing constantly in our knowledge of God. What do you have? Whom do you see? Who do you know? And so obviously preparing this kind of message is very challenging. And the Holy Spirit... Like brought real conviction upon my heart. I've asked myself so many questions. Remembering people God has placed in my life and vice versa as well. Remembering people that have been put into their life and the people that God has placed into my life. Into my life. And how the loving kindness of God is at work. And I've been in communities where together we have wrapped around people in need and demonstrated God's kindness. However, I know there's room for so much more. And I'm challenged by this message even as I deliver it to you today. That God loves people and God's people, we are the avenue of God's grace. God is concerned for the least, the last and the lost. And as a church, we also are passionate to prioritize the least, the last and the lost. And there are people in our communities, people in our midst, who fully get this and and are running passionately with it. So well done. But there's some of us also that we are talking through what this means for us practically in our communities because we're just gradually moving towards that direction. But it's important that we have these conversations, that we keep having them, trusting that the Holy Spirit will move us from whatever level we're at, move us forward so that we can be key instruments in demonstrating the loving kindness of God towards others. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 tells us, verse 9 and 10, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as you have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, everyone, and especially to those of the household of faith. This is what we are called to do, to do good to everyone and especially to those of the household of faith. Hebrews 6.10, for God is not unjust 
so as to overlook your work and the love that you, sh- you have shown for his name in serving the sins as you still do. For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. So there's, an, there's a requirement for an ongoing serving the Lord and serving one another. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. God's loving kindness towards us is great. It is abundant, it's everlasting, it's never-ending, it's full of goodness. His loving kindness, his steadfast loving actions towards us, they know no bounds. God's loving kindness has touched our hearts and lives and that should motivate us in our love and service towards God, towards one another and how we live in relation to one another. Naomi was blessed by Ruth and Boaz. God's loving kindness was displayed to Naomi through Ruth and Boaz, faithful loyal servants. They were not in need for what they could get. They were just being a blessing. And they helped, Naomi, they helped Naomi get her daily bread. But unlike Ruth and Boaz, Jesus Christ does not merely give us bread. He is the bread of life. He is our bread and he welcomes us at his banquet table. He nourishes us with his own body and blood. He's pardoned our sin through his substitutionary sacrifice. Never, never has the world seen such kindness than in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he gave everything. And then Boaz, we know Boaz was a worthy man, but Jesus Christ is much more worthy. He's worthy of everything. There is none so noble, none so gentle, none so dignifying, none so kind like our Lord Jesus Christ. He sees us in our vulnerability. So we must keep taking refuge under his wings. We must be assured that Jesus Christ deals kindly with us but he also transforms us in the process and makes us instruments of his kindness. He's entrusted so much resources to us that he wants us to entrust to others. We are sojourners, brothers and sisters. We are stewards. And so we need to use what God has given us for his glory. And Anna challenged us last week to be a people who respond to the activity of God in our lives. And this morning, I want us to encourage I want to encourage us to do the same, to be a responsive people, to respond to the loving kindness of God towards us. We have taken refuge under the shadow of his wings. Our lives are now marked by the presence and the love of God. Even in times of crisis and despair, during the worship we are being encouraged, God is near. God is always close. Like Naomi realized, God was still working even though she could not see it. And so even despite our crisis and, our, and, and whatever it is that we're going through, we need to remember that the loving kindness of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. The Bible says they are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. The book of, um, this chapter we've um, looked at today, chapter two, it shows us how we should respond to the love of God and how we should respond to others because God has loved us. The loving kindness of God towards us should propel us to want to show loving kindness to other people. And we were told during worship that there's an invitation this morning. The invitation is from the Lord to us. Invitation for joy, for faith, and to go again. And we want to respond this morning. And the way we're going to respond is we want to be captivated again by the loving kindness of the Lord. 
We want to be overwhelmed by the remarkable demonstration of God's covenant loving kindness towards us on an ongoing basis in the person of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning, you've lost the wonder of God's mercy in your life. You've lost your joy because of the things going on in your life. We're going to take a moment now. I'm just going to pause and think because sometimes we forget. We need to remind ourselves. During worship, we were were, um, told to remind ourselves of the great things God has done in our life. And this morning, we're just going to take a few minutes to ponder on what the great things God has done in our life in the person of Jesus Christ, the person that laid down his life so that we can live. We want to be captivated again by this loving kindness of the Lord. We want to be overwhelmed. We don't want to take it for granted. We don't want, to be, we don't want it to be, oh, no. It's always a thing of all, what Jesus Christ has done. So that's what we're going to do this morning. And we're going to um, read Psalm 103 together because that's a wonderful chapter that reminds us of the loving kindness of the Lord. And you, just, you don't have to read this if you, don't, if you don't want to, but if you want to say, God, would you come and overwhelm me again with your loving kindness? Would you come and overwhelm me and captivate my heart again with your loving kindness? Then we're going to do that. And there are people here, as I was preparing this message, um, that, are, that are procrastinating. There's things God is asking you to do, even in relation to like, showing loving kindness to other people, but you keep saying, oh, no, I'll do that next week, or I'll do that next month. You keep putting things away, or I will do this when things get, get better in my life, or I will be part of a community when I'm less busy. There's lots of procrastinating going on, and the Holy Spirit this morning wants us to come to a place of decision because of the loving kindness of the Lord. And as we read this Psalm 103 this morning, our prayer is that God will open the eyes of our heart again to his loving kindness. That God will align our hearts again to his loving kindness and that that will propel us to want to be a people that display the loving kindness of God towards those around us. So if you're willing and you want to do that, can I invite you to rise on your feet and we're going to read Psalm 103 together, thanking God for his loving kindness and then asking him to overwhelm us and captivate our hearts again with his loving kindness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. As for man, his days are as the grass. 
He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Yeah, Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your loving kindness towards us. We thank you for your steadfast love that goes from generation to generation. We thank you because you know us by name. We thank you that you care about every single area of our lives. I thank you that you speak to us. You did not treat us as our sins deserve. Your loving kindness towards us is so gentle, is so generous, and is ongoing. And Lord, as a people, we have declared your word this morning, and our desire is that you captivate our hearts once again with your loving kindness, that you overwhelm us again with your steadfast love, that God, in Jesus' name, we will be a people that will respond to you and not procrastinate, that we will acknowledge your goodness and your work in our life, your power and what you are doing and what you are yet to do, that we will submit ourselves to you, God. We want to be a church that gives ourselves first and foremost to you so that we can give ourselves to the things you call us to. So even in this coming week, would you remind us of the things you're already speaking to us about? Would you help us to find you in the secret place? God, to devote our lives to loving you because you've loved us first. And even as we love you more, that your love will overflow through us and will be a blessing to those around us. Open the eyes of our hearts to your loving kindness. Align our hearts, oh God, to what you're doing in us. We give you glory for what you were doing. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.